Um, and now I'm going to introduce Mr. Josh Haas. He's speaking today. He's one of the deepest wells of wisdom I have ever met in my entire life, so I know it's going to be really good. Good morning, everybody. Are you awake? <laughs> well, it's good to see everybody here, and um, Aaron and Nicole are doing a trip out of town. Um, they spent some time with Leif and Jennifer Hetland, and they're going down to see um, uh, some other friends of ours uh, in uh, the Zacharies, um, Aaron and Ashley, and so we... Um, we're glad for that, and I get to uh, share some things with you today. So they started last week this series that's, uh, that's going to be continuing into uh, probably November. So that's the, probably about the longest series that we've ever done here that I'm aware of. And this whole series is about family. And so um, I wanted to start with the scripture that I liked. I, I feel like it, it pertains well to family. This is Acts 17.28, and this is what it says. For you know the saying, we live in God, we move in God, we exist in God. And still another said, we are indeed God's children. We are his children. We are the family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. How do I know? Because the Bible says so. We are. And so what we want to do, what we want to figure out is how do we live like family? That's one of the themes, that's one of the core values of our church here at Upper Room is family. But the thing is with family is, if I say family, we may all get different things in our minds of what that looks like. And um, your family and my family may be very different from each other. If you're married, you figure that out pretty quickly, that the person you married didn't come from the same family as you did. And so what they thought was normal is not necessarily the things that you thought was normal. And so maybe they put ketchup on tacos, and you think that's weird. But then you live with them long enough, and all of a sudden you find yourself putting ketchup on tacos because family kind of figures out together what their normal is. Here's a definition that the, uh, the great Aaron Simmons gave of family. The organized functioning unit of love. And I like that. I feel like that's really concise. That gives a, a good overview of what we're talking about. But the thing is, if you've been around family long enough, it, it raises the question is, what happens when family becomes disorganized, malfunctioning, and disconnected? Because if we're the organized functioning unit of love, what happens when people aren't organized? I know that would never happen at Upper Room, but what happens if it might? If we're not organized, we're not a functioning unit, of, we're dysfunctional. What do we do then? What happens when those things come up? Because if you've been around people long enough, eventually they're going to fail you. Eventually there, there are things that are going to come up. I think one of the things that um, Aaron and I were talking about recently is we've just become more and more aware of where we fall short. There are so many things that I would love to do better that I, I, I just keep feeling like I let people down. And I, I just recognize more and more that I am not perfect. I'm a human being. And if you're around human beings long enough, even if you call them family, they're going, to, they're going to fail you once in a while. In my own personal family, I have I'm almost three teenagers. 
And if you don't know the goal, the whole sole purpose of a teenager, the purpose is to prove to you that they don't think the same way that you think. That's the reason that they live. That's nothing wrong with that. That's called launching, okay? But the, but the thing is, that can get a little rocky at times when you start recognizing that, oh my gosh, they don't think about this the same way that I do. And so what I wanted to do is, is recognize that um, family is not family only when everybody's behaving well. That can't be the only way that we're family. Because if that was the case, then I would only be in God's family when I'm doing the right things. And when I mess up, well, I'm no longer in his family. Then I got to get it back together again. And now I'm back in his family, but then I go and I mess up again. And I'm not in his family anymore. And it's back and forth, back and forth. That's not family. Family isn't me earning a place and doing right, and that makes me family. That's not what makes me family. So what I was wondering and what I wanted to talk about this morning is how does family react? How should family react when somebody lets you down in the family? When somebody doesn't live up to their end of the bargain the way you thought that they should? And so because I had that question, the place that I decided to look, which I think is a good place, is Scripture. We're in a church here, so that's a good place to start typically, right? But I didn't want to just start with any Scripture because something you may or may not know about Scripture, that there's a lot of bad examples of family in Scripture. If you look at King David, he did some things really well, and he did some things not so well. And so part of the Bible is it's descriptive. In other words, it's just describing what happened. It's not saying you should do it that way. It's just telling you what they did when they were in that situation. In fact, you could probably come up with a lot of examples of how people did things in the Bible that you're like, that is not a good idea to do things. On the other hand, there are parts of the Bible that are prescriptive, meaning it is telling you this is how you should live your life. You should look at this as an example. And there are a lot of good people in Scripture David, Moses, even the apostles that, um, that did some, some good things and maybe have some good examples of family, but they also have some examples that are kind of shaky. And so what I decided to do is the best example that I think I could look at is Jesus. Because whatever he did, you're not going to see where he messed up. He didn't mess up in, every, in any spot. And as we look at Jesus, there are basically two ways to look at him. And either one is very good and legitimate. And if you only do one, you're doing, you're doing a great thing. But I want to look at, at, at both. So one of the ways we can look at Jesus is if we look at him as an example of, and, and the stories and, and the picture of Jesus from Scripture, we look at him as a picture of how good God is. A picture of the image of what God is like. And, and that is great. If that's as far as you get when you look at Jesus, that's a really wonderful thing because there's so much value to that, to understanding who God is. But there's another piece to that. When we look at Jesus in Scripture, one of the things that we believe is that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And what that means is when he was a human being walking on the earth, he actually limited himself. He, he didn't act as God in the things that he did. He didn't stop being God, but he didn't act that. He actually limited himself. 
And so that the things that we see Jesus do in Scripture are actually a picture of a human being doing those things who is in perfect relationship with God. And so because he's the only human being that had perfect relationship with God, he acted as a man, but he did things that men couldn't do because he was in perfect relationship with God. So what I want to look at when I see him, I see potential for the things that I could do as I adjust my relationship with God. Now, in the charismatic circles where we, where we walk, we talk a lot about signs and wonders and miracles, and we raise the dead, and, and we heal the sick, and we prophesy, and we see miracles, and those are things that Jesus did. And so I look at that, and I say, if he did those things, as I adjust my relationship with God, my connection with God, Father God, I can do those things. But I want to talk about, I don't think it just applies to the, the supernatural signs, wonders, and miracles. I think it also applies to the way that we treat each other, the way that we do family. As I look at a picture of Jesus in Scripture, of how he treated those around him who he considered family, it gives me a picture of how I can live my life if I'm in perfect relationship with God toward other people. But here's the problem, okay? It's not what you can do without God. Anything that Jesus did, if you try to do it without God, it's not going to work so well. And so if I try to, to treat people the way Jesus treated them without a relationship with God, I might do okay for a while, but I'm going to, I'm going to stumble. I'm, I'm going to follow it up after a while. And so, to quote Steve Justice, what he said um, a few weeks ago when he taught, is basically, I have nothing to give. I can't come at this, I can't come at family on my own and think that I'm going to do it right if I don't have a relationship with Jesus, if I don't allow Holy Spirit to fill me and allow me to treat people the way that he would treat them. So, along those lines, I wanted to, to list a few things that Jesus did to show you how he treated other people. So here's one thing that he did. He forgave he forgave people. Jesus is a picture of forgiveness. He was um, on the cross, and, and let me read you this scripture, Luke 23, 34a. This is Jesus on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's beside people who really legitimately deserve to be hanging there. And he's there, and this is what he says. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. One of the biggest things Jesus showed as he related to other people and family is forgiveness. He did not allow the offenses that people did. To, he did not hold that against them to prevent them from coming, coming into relationship with him. Now this is what forgiveness basically means. A real simple definition is I'm going to let go of whatever right I feel like I have to be your judge or to be your punisher doesn't mean what you did was okay. It doesn't mean I'm going to let you do that again to me. I'm going to call you on it if you're still having that same problem again. I'm not going to put myself in a situation that's unhealthy. But I'm going to take away whatever right I feel like I have to be your judge or punisher. I'm not going to punish you for, for what you did. In other words, I'm not going to give you the cold shoulder because you hurt my feelings. I'm not going to go off and start screaming at you. I'm not going to get sarcastic. I'm actually going to, to 
be willing to let you know what you did was wrong, but I'm not going to do it in a way that I'm trying to punish you. And it doesn't mean that you should let them do that again. Now, um, fairly recently, within the past year or so, one of my, my children was, was out, um, go, went to shopping with a group of friends and one of the friend's mothers. And something happened. The friend's mother got really frustrated and basically just started screaming obscenities at all of the girls. It was shocking. Like all the girls were scarred from this. And the moms uh, uh, heard about this and everybody was upset. And um, Angie and I were trying to figure out what to do. And what we ended up coming at is, is like, I think she knows what she did was wrong. We're going to wait and, and be open until she comes back to us and, and, and see what we want to do from there. So we waited, and eventually, um, you know, she kind of defended herself and didn't say much more, and we just said, that that's fine. We're going to forgive her. And eventually, uh, later on, Angie had a connection with her to, to where she was in the same place, and Angie just treated her well. She treated her, you know, she was kind to her, she was loving to her, and and this mom sent her a message later. She's like, thank you so much for not judging me for the actions that I did before. And it was like shocking to her that she was forgiven. And it was a place of connection because Angie was willing to show her what that looked like. Now, she didn't say that it was okay. She didn't ask her to do it again. But the lady already knew that it was wrong. The lady already knew that it was an issue. Forgiveness broke something. Forgiveness changed something. The next thing that Jesus did was, number two, is he, he kept them accountable. Jesus kept people accountable. So when they would make a mistake, when they, when they would do some harm to the relationship, he'd keep them accountable. I want to talk for a second about um, the Apostle Peter. you got to love Peter. I mean, he is, one minute, he's just running after Jesus and doing these amazing things. The other minute, he's tripping over himself and doing something really stupid. And he goes back and forth and back and forth, but he's all in. Like, wherever he goes, he's all in every time. And so, in Luke 22, 31 through 34, and I don't have a slide for this. You can go back and look for, for yourself. Jesus um, is at the Last Supper with all of the, the apostles, and he's basically telling them, listen, guys, you're all going to leave me, and I'm going to be crucified, and it's going to get really difficult here really soon. And Peter, of course, says, Jesus, I would never do that. That wouldn't be, not me. I could, that could never happen to me. I would die for you. I would do anything for you. And Jesus said, listen, you don't know this, but three times you're, you're going to deny that you even know me. And, Jesus said, or, and Peter says, no, 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 that's never going to happen. That can't happen. So fast forward, and as Jesus is, is going through and, and getting ready to be crucified, the opportunity comes up, and... Um, Peter is asked if he knows Jesus, and he denies that he even knows him three times, just as Jesus predicted. And Jesus looks at him, and that's where, where, where Peter is left. And so I want to fast forward from there to the scene that happens after the first time when Peter and Jesus actually come back together after Peter has betrayed Jesus, denied him. And this is... Um, 
Jesus is that Peter's off fishing with some of the other guys and and uh, Jesus comes to the shore they can tell it's him and Peter as he always does he gets really excited dives in the water and starts swimming for him when it'd be really a lot faster to take the boat but that's just how Peter is and they get there and and Peter comes up to, to Jesus and Jesus is interacting and talking with him and this is um, in John verse, or chapter 21 verses 15 through 17 it says so when they had finished breakfast Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these he said to him yes Lord you know I love you he said to him tend my lambs he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me more? He, he said, uh, Simon, son of John, I lost my spot. Do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. I want to point out that Jesus asked him three times after Peter had denied him three times. That's, you know, very much saying, come back in. I'm going to reinstate you after whatever mistake you made. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to bring you back in. But the other thing that, that Jesus did is, is he made him accountable he needed Peter, and Peter actually needed more than Jesus did, to say that he still loved him. Peter needed to say that out loud. Now, the way that Jesus handled it, he could have come in and he could have said, he could have just been real angry. He could have just started, Peter, why did you deny me? How could you do that? I can't believe you'd be like that. After all the time we spent together, what is wrong with you? But that's not what Jesus did. Or he could have given him the cold shoulder. He could have said, you know what, uh, I'm not going to give you the time of day after what you did to me. I'm not even going to talk to you. But that's not what he did. Or he could have come in and he got, could have gotten really sarcastic and he could have said, oh, so you're not going to de deny me, are you, huh? But that's not what he did either. He went to him. He knew that Peter already knew what he did. And he got to the heart of the issue and he said, Peter, do you love me? He was inviting Peter to keep, keep in that relationship. But he was also getting to the point is, you need to know that you love me here. You need to understand that, that we're still in relationship. We're still in connection here. Here's the third thing that Jesus did. He allowed the Father to fill him. In other words, he expected God to fill him when the people around him were not. When somebody lets you down, there's something that you need that is not getting met. And the next slide I want to show you is, is just a thought I had is, I think God will allow other people to not meet your needs sometimes so that he can meet them. Every so often, something will come up and somebody will disappoint you. And it's not that necessarily God plans somebody to disappoint you, but he's so good at using everything that when they do, it's an invitation of, will you sit in a fence or will you take that need that they just didn't meet 
And will you take it to him and let him meet that? So in my life, I'm at a place where uh, my son, Caleb, he's, he's getting ready to launch. He's, he's planning to go to Wright State, and he's getting ready to move out soon. And then I've got two daughters after him, which means I'm going to be the only male in the house left. Our dynamic is changing, okay? And so the two girls, are, they're, they're kind of uh, getting a little more bonding with their mom. And what that means is a lot of the fun family things we got to do together turn into girls' days. And I'm kind of pushed aside. I'm a little left out. Yeah, well, you might woo it. I'm not. (laughs) And so there are needs that I have that I used to get met by family time, that I get to enjoy spending time together as a family. Needs like connection. Needs like feeling loved, feeling belonging, feeling needed. That it's not a personal thing. They're not trying to do anything to me. It's just I can't get those needs meet in the same way that I used to because they're at a different stage in life. And so I have to decide, am I going to sit offended? Well, nobody wants to spend time with me. Poor Josh. I feel so sad for myself. Or am I going to look at this as an opportunity and say, all right, Lord, those things that I used to use to get that need met, I can't let them take the place of you. So I have this need for connection. Lord, will you help me connect to you? Will you meet that need for me? I have this need to, you know, Lord, how, how do you want me to belong? How do I belong in you? And I may even go a little deeper and start asking Jesus some questions like, Jesus, how did you deal with it when you felt like you didn't belong? Because there's nothing that he's gone through that we didn't. There's nothing that, that we go through that he didn't, I should say. There's nothing. Anything that we go through, he can understand. And, and if we'll speak with him and let him give us information, understanding, wisdom on how he dealt with those things, it will empower us to deal with those as well. You know, the, the best example I can think of Jesus doing this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right after he, the Last Supper, uh, he gathers the, uh, the apostles with him, and he says, come on, guys, it's going to be a rough day or so here. We need to go pray. And, of course, they're, like, they're all like, yeah, sure, yeah, we'll go pray with you. And he goes, and he starts praying, and, and he's praying so hard, blood is dripping. He's sweating blood. He's praying so hard. There's such stress. And the guys he brings with him, they fall asleep. And so he wakes them up, and he's like, come on, guys, we got to pray here. we got to pray. And he goes off, and he starts praying some more, and they're, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll pray with you. We'll pray, pray with you. And he goes and he prays some more, and he comes back, and there they are asleep again. If he didn't know how to strengthen himself in the Lord at that time, in the Father, everybody else would have let him down, and he wouldn't have been able to walk forward and do what he needed to do. I believe that there are those of you in this time and place that need to strengthen yourself in the Lord instead of leaning on other people to strengthen you. doesn't mean God won't use other people to strengthen you, but it's kind of funny how it works. When, the better I can lean into the Lord to strengthen me, the more easily he can use other people for that. But if I try to lean on other people to strengthen me instead of him, then usually they're going to fail me and it all falls apart. Here's the fourth thing that I want to point out, and this kind of sums everything up. 
he held on to his end of the rope. Now this is an illustration that we like to give in the parenting class. The rope that I'm talking about signifies like the, the connection that we have with somebody on the other side of the relationship. So the better connection that you have, the more you're able to pull them along where you would like them to go. One of the il illustrations we give in the parenting class is we use a tissue and say, pretend this is your connection with your, with your uh, child. And if you try to pull them in any direction, the connection just tears. They're not going anywhere. Then you ta I take the strap off of my, my carrying bag, and I give them that, and we pull, and I say, now we, we, we have connection. I can pull you if I need to. Okay. Well, in any relationship, there, there is a rope that you hold on to. And so Angie and I have this rope. When we got married, we, we got, it's, it's like this rope. It's not a real rope. I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically. I hope you understand. <laughs> but there's this rope that we both decided we were going to hang on to. And so in every life situation when things come up, we have this rope that we've both decided we're going to hold on to this rope. And so not a few months ago, I said, you know, I think that we should um, redecorate the house. And I'll, you know, I'll reduce some things, do the flooring, paint. I think we should do that. And she says, I don't know, that could take a lot of time. I don't know if that's going to work. And I said, well, I'm willing to spend the time. We'll, you know, we'll look and, and, and pick some things out. She said, okay, we'll do that. So we pull back and forth. Well, recently, you know, a lot, it's, we're getting close to being done. And she comes to me and she says, ooh, but I don't like that color of paint. And I, I said, oh, really? But I spent all that time doing this. She said, yeah, but if I look at it, every time I walk by it, I'm going to wish that it was different. I said, okay, all right. We're going to get some new paint for this then, I suppose. Now, we're both holding on to our side of the rope, and we're pulling back and forth. Here's the thing, though. There's an aspect in every relationship of choice. Now, as you're dealing with children, there's less choice that they have because they, they kind of need you. But as they grow old, older, you want them to need your help less and want you around more, right? But in a marriage and in friendship and in family, as they grow up, you choose to hold on to your side of the rope or not. So if Angie and I are having this conversation and she pulls one way and I said, no, I'm not doing that. In fact, I'm leaving. I don't want to be there. That, that decision to hold on the rope, that's covenant. And in family, we decide to hold on to our end of the rope. Now, here's the thing. I can't decide if you're going to hold on to your end of the rope. And I can't make my determination on whether I'm going to hold on to my end if you do or not. I can only decide if I'm powerful to decide to hold on to my end. And that's how Jesus lived his life. He always held on to his end of the rope. He always said, I am here ready to, to come into relationship and connection anytime you're ready. Now, don't get me wrong. He wasn't so obsessed with connection that he wanted unhealthy connection. And so when you're holding on to your end of the rope, you're not saying, I will do anything to be around you so you treat me as poorly as you want to. No, I'm holding on to a healthy connection rope. That's the kind of rope that I'm holding on to. So I'm here with this healthy connection rope. Anytime you're ready, I choose to hold on to it. If you want to grab onto your side of it, all the better. If you choose not to, I'm here standing, waiting with this end of the rope. And that's how Jesus lived his life. That's how he treated people. And that's how he is calling us as family to treat each other. 
because there will become times that you see people fail you, hurt you, harm you, and it's up to you to, to whether you decide you're going to hold on to your end of the rope or not. You, only you get that choice. Nobody else controls that. doesn't matter if they fail you or not. You still choose whether you're going to hold on to your end of the rope or not. That's something that Jesus understood and, and, and did well. So John 15, 16, I like what he says here. <clears throat> he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I like the part where he says, you did not choose me, I chose you. In other words, you are never going to have to worry about my end of the relationship. You do whatever you want. You make whatever bad choices you're going to do. You can live your life however you want. You're never going to have to worry about my end of the relationship. As soon as you're ready to come back into a healthy relationship with me, I am there for you and I'm ready. Now, how's that apply to family? He's asking us to do the same thing. Do you think Jesus valued protecting himself more than he valued connecting with people? No. He was ready to go and die on the cross. And so he wasn't trying to protect himself. He was actually living through something that we call core values. He had a core value for relationship. Core values are things that you structure your life through, that this is, I've made a choice of how I'm going to handle things before the opportunity ever comes there. So I know how I react when I get there. So maybe I have a core value for honesty. One of my kids, um, a few years ago, um, was in a parking lot where uh, there was a, an attendant taking money and the attendant was just getting ready to leave and they dropped the $20 bill on the ground and they did not see the $20 bill. And so uh, what my, my, one of my kids did is they picked up the $20 bill and they gave it back to the attendant that did, didn't see it because they have a, a value for honesty. Now the thing about core values is they don't, they don't always mean that you act in your immediate best interest. Because your immediate best interest would be pocket that money and walk away with it. What it means is I'm operating from a belief that I have about how I want to live my life. And so when we operate from our core values instead of our immediate best interest, our friends can trust us because they know how we're going to act. If I'm honest with that $20 bill on the ground, I'm going to be honest with them about other things. And our enemies, at least they know where that we stand. At least they can say, well, that goody two-shoes, how could they do that? But they, they don't have a lot of ground to stand on. If we act in our immediate best interest and we pocket the money, our friends don't know whether they can trust us or not. And our enemies will call us hypocrites. They've got ammunition to use against us. The way that works in relationships is... If I decide my highest priority is to protect myself, to not get hurt, I'm acting in my immediate best interests. If you fail me and I put a, put a, a barrier up so I, that we can't connect anymore, I'm acting in my immediate best interest, but I'm not acting for my core value, which my core value is family. How do I act if, if you hurt me or you offend me? And I, my core value is family, I bring it up with you. I talk to you about it. I am open. I'm holding on to my end of the rope to keep connection with you. And I value 
you more than I value making sure that you don't do that again. Now, that doesn't mean it's okay if you do it again, but it means that my goal is connection in family. I want to mention something um, as we, we get close to, to ending here. Is I want to mention something about agreement. When you're dealing with Jesus, it's a pretty good idea that you agree with him because he kind of has a monopoly on, on the whole situation. He kind of knows what's going on. But when you're dealing with the other brothers and sisters in the family, you don't want to make agreement your highest goal because there's a lot more that you can see that I can't see. And so if we pretend like agreement is our goal, then as soon as we disagree, we have to have a church split. Or I pretend like I agree when I don't, and you never really get to know me, and that's not family. What we really want to work toward is understanding each other. I want to see where you're coming from. I want to get to know you. Why would you see it that way? Why do you have those feelings? I don't put a higher value on agreement than I do on understanding and connection. Now, there are certain things in a church that we do agree on. If you're going to step on stage, you better believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he died for your sins. You know, we're not going to put you up here to, to preach some other religion. But I can still have a relationship with somebody who's not a Christian if I value understanding them, and I'm not, I'm not trying to manipulate them. Family um, isn't always family because they agree. Family is family because they've decided to gather around mothers and fathers. Anybody have a family that always agrees? Do you stop being family when you disagree? No. So family is not family because you agree. Family is family because we decided to gather around mothers and fathers and let them parent us. I don't even agree with my parents all the time, and my kids don't always agree with me all the time. And I want them to feel comfortable enough to talk about that. But there should be no question that as, as the dad, I'm in charge. Now there's a difference to be, between being in charge and being in control. All right, Ask a police officer. They're in charge, but they're not always, they can't, don't always control everything. Otherwise, nobody would ever commit a crime ever, right? So they're not in control, but they are in charge. No question about that. Try to violate something, and they'll let you know who's in charge. I want to bring out something that, uh, that Steve Justice said when he taught last time. The next slide here. God cares more about what you think about others than what, he th what you think about what others think. The Honorable Steve Justice. That is such a key as we relate to each other, as we be family. Can I love you when we don't agree? That's family. You don't know if you have family until you find something to disagree about. Everybody thinks they have great family when you agree all the time. Everybody thinks that. Of course, we're great. We never argue. Well, then do you really know each other? Do you share a brain? Because if, if you don't share a brain, there's going to be something you, you think a little differently about. Here's a, a, a scripture I wanted to throw in here. This is 1 John 3.16. Not to be confused with John 3.16. This is 1 John 3.16. And I like this one. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Oh, brothers and sisters, there's that family thing again. 
what does giving up your life look like? Well, sometimes it's literally actually dying. But sometimes dying means I'm going to put whatever I thought was I needed to protect myself and make sure you don't hurt me. I'm going to set that aside in honor of, of relationship and working on connecting with you. I want healthier relationships, so if you can't show me that, I'm going to wait. But my hand is still on this, this end of the rope when you're ready to come in in a healthy relationship. If you start screaming and yelling and, and abusing me, I don't have my hand on the end of that rope. I'm not holding on to a rope of unhealthy relationship. But if you're ready to come and connect in a healthy relationship, <clears throat> I'm not going to punish you and say we will never uh, connect again because of what you did. That's how Jesus dis does things. So to kind of uh, sum that up, I'd like to mention... Uh, the seriousness of the family wall that we have out outside the narthex here. If you don't know what it is, if you as you go out these doors in the narthex and you and you look at the the little room on the left just before you go outside, we have this wall that's called our family wall, and there are pictures up there of anybody who says that they they want want to be part of the family, because at our church we don't have a formal membership. We basically say if you want to be family, take your picture and put it on the wall. As long as you believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior and you've accepted him, you support this ministry, and you attend regularly, we will accept you in his family. Okay? But I also want to let you know something. This is also a form of, of covenant, and I want to let you know about the seriousness of this. Because it's, we are asking you actually to marry us when you put your picture on that wall. And I do um, a lot of the premarital for couples and what I always tell them is you need to look at the person that you are planning to marry as they are right now because whatever issues they have you can't hope that they're going to work them out after you get married they're in them you are marrying them for who they are right now and if that doesn't change you don't have any right to say I didn't know what I was getting into you got into what you decided to get into so you want to go in with eyes wide open, knowing what you're getting into. And then I tell them, once you get married, you want to go with one eye closed and the other one squinting because you overlook those things. But you want to go in with eyes wide open. What that has to do with our covenant is our church has issues. Now, we're not unique. Every church does. Okay? But our church has some issues, things that could get to you, that could annoy you if you're here long enough. And so when you decide to commit to us, you need to be thinking, we want to marry you. We're asking for covenant. This isn't something you take lightly. And so you are marrying us for who we are as a church right now, not for who you hope we will become one day as a church. So when you commit to us, when you come into covenant with us, when you decide you want to be family, you have to decide, am I willing to hold on to my end of the rope when, when they hurt me? Because we will eventually. Something will offend you. Something will bother you. Something won't go quite the way that you wanted. Will I hold on to my end of the rope when they hurt me? Now, that doesn't mean that you can't, you know, put your picture on the wall and decide that you're going to move to another state or, or do something else. That's not what it means at all. I'm not saying you have, you're stuck here for the rest of your life and we're locking the doors on you. What I am saying is, if you put your picture up there, we expect connection. 
We expect relationship. And we will, we will commit to doing our side of holding onto the rope, but we expect you to hold onto your side of the rope. We have lots of people who have gone to other states and even other countries that we still consider covenant family because they maintain and we maintain relationship together. So I want to um, close things up and invite the, the, the band up if they're in here. Yeah. Um, I'd like to just take a, a, a couple of minutes and let you examine yourselves. I'm not going to do um, any prayer teams right now because we're still figuring out how we do this with the climate and the government laws and such. But you're welcome to come up to the, the front altar if, you, if you'd like to or you can stay at your seat. But I'd like you to just close your eyes. Get to a place where there aren't distractions as best you can. And I'd like you to um, just let the Lord examine you and show you what's there. I want you to ask the Lord if there's anybody in your life that you've let go of your end of the rope with. It's not, it doesn't matter what they did. It's, it's basically, have I decided that even if they came back and they were healthy, I would not want to have any connection with them? Am I unwilling to have any kind of, of communication or contact with them? Ask Him to show you that. You don't have to dig around. It'll pop right in your head. You don't have to try to make something happen. You don't have to go through your whole life history. Holy Spirit's really good at just showing you what you need in a few seconds. And if he shows you somebody, I want you to ask him what you should do about that. It might be calling them. It might be visiting them. It might be just sending an old snail mail letter. But whatever he shows you, ask you to purpose to do that and by purposing I'm saying decide on a time and day that you will do that don't just say I need to get to that make a plan to actually do that and settle that with them and then if he's shown you that and you purpose to do that I, I have the next question for you Have you let go of your end of the rope with the Lord, with Jesus, in any way? Is there any area in your life that you just decided, God, I can't trust you, I don't believe in you, I don't know what to do here, or I'm going to use something else to try to fill that need instead of you? Have you let go of your end of the rope? And if you, you find that you have, if he shows you anywhere, you just repent. And repentance just means this. Lord, I'm sorry that I've done that. And I'm going to turn. I'm going to choose different. I'm going to move toward you instead of away or in the wrong direction. And let him show you how and where and what to do there. And then the last group of people was kind of like what, what Brianna was talking about when she did transition are the people who never maybe grabbed onto their end of the rope. They didn't even realize that there was an end of the rope to grab onto. That they've never come in, un, into relationship with Jesus. He's there and he's holding onto his end of the rope or a healthy relationship. 
inviting you and he's saying, will you, will you grab on your end and let me pull? Let me pull you. Let me show you where, let me lead you. Let me show you where to go. I'll let you pull back as you need to. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come in into relationship with Jesus today. And what that means is just this, is that you admit to Jesus that you can't do this life without him that you have sin, you have issues, you have problems in your life. But he paid the price for that. He died on the cross to make your life whole and complete. And just pray to him that you accept that, that price that he paid. You receive that from him. And let Holy Spirit come into you and make your life new. So Jesus, we thank you that you've never let go of your end of the rope. We thank you that you are the picture of family for us. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, give us the power and the wisdom to really live as family. But Lord, also give us the power and wisdom and strength in you to keep our end of the rope when other people let go of their ends. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, bless you guys. You have a great Sunday. Go out and meet Jesus to the world around you.